All right, good morning, New Hope. Good to see you all online and on campus, uh, both and. I'm Ryan, if we haven't met, one of the pastors. And uh, despite the intense heat that we're all experiencing, it is hard to believe that summer is wrapping up. And uh, this is a big week for many students as they're heading back to school. And we want to take a moment, we do this every year, and we want to take a moment to pray and pray over the upcoming school year to pray for, for uh, the students, pray for the teachers and staff. Uh, administrators, assistants, bus drivers, everybody that's involved in that education process and just lift them up this morning. Uh, Whether you are uh, students-wise going back to ADM or Van Meter, we have students here that are in the Waukee School District or West Central Valley, Uh, Adel Classical Academy, uh, preschools and homeschool and all kinds of schools. We just want to pray over all of them uh, this morning. So before we jump in the word, would you just join me as we just together uh, lift up these kids, lift up this upcoming school year, and uh, do so together as a church family on campus and also watching online. Uh, let's pray together to that end. Uh, Father, we thank you for the chance of uh, these students to go back to school here in just a few days. And Lord, we are uh, just lifting them up both for the practical needs of safety and, and, and for teachers to be equipped and encouraged in their uh, role that they have. It is so critically important that you give them all that they need and all that are behind the scenes, administrators and such that have a role, we lift them up as well. I pray, Father, we pray for students that as they go into the schools that they would be a light and a place that can be very challenging. We pray that the teachers and, and employees of schools, that, that as they know you and walk with you, that they too would be a presence to encourage and to love right there on the front lines and in the trenches of, of real life stuff. And so, Father, we lift up the school year. We thank you that we can be a part of it through student ministry and kids ministry here, and uh, we just uh, entrust all of it to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Hey, thank you for doing that. Please grab your Bibles, if you would. Turn to Acts chapter 8 is where we're at this morning. And uh, we are continuing on in our sermon series called Impact. And we're studying Acts chapters 1 through 8. So we're almost done. And uh, as you know, we're looking at the first church and how this church got started and, and how God used everyday, average, normal people like you and like me to, to profoundly change the world, the Holy Spirit working in them and through them and all the ways that he did some profound things. And they were also looking at different attributes of these first Christians that we want to incorporate into our lives as well. And I think this is message number 12, I think. And so there's been a lot of attributes that we have covered over these summer months And I really hope it's been an encouragement to you, very practically applicable, that has challenged you as well in your your faith. And so we continue on uh, with that today. But before we jump into our text this morning, because we're almost done, I want to give you a little preview of what's coming up next. Our next sermon series, which will launch on September 10th, is called Fighting for Family. And I'm personally very excited for this. This is timely and this is important. There is something in these this two months that we're going to spend for every single one of us. We want to encourage and equip families. We want to focus on marriage and talking about what the Bible has to say about that. Those of you who are married, we want to equip you and encourage you. Uh, parents and grandparents, and no matter what family looks like for you, there is something here for you. And so we'll be starting that on September 10th. Along with the, the, the Sunday morning sermons that we'll be working through, there's also a great class that we're going to be launching, a series of podcast episodes on a variety of topics. And then at the end, the very last Sunday, we are hosting 
that weekend a two-day marriage conference with Jeff and Shanti Feldhahn. They're uh, down in Atlanta, Georgia. We're bringing them in, and they're going to be doing a Friday night, Saturday uh, morning conference that is going to be dynamic and talk about all kinds of important things. Shanti is a prolific author. You see some of her books there. You can go to shanti.com or org to learn more about her, and then she's going to be with us on Sunday morning as well and sharing. And so it's just going to be a great time of equipping and encouraging, and so it's going to be an exciting fall. So looking forward to that. More to come in September 10th. All of this launches, including getting your tickets for the, com- the, the conference. So that is where we're going, but not yet today. So hopefully you're in Acts chapter 8, and you are ready to go, whether you have a paper version or digital, in terms of what we're going to be talking about this morning. In Acts chapter 8, and our focus is verses 1 through 4. We're taking a very small but profound passage here and unpacking that this morning. But this chapter is a, is, is a really a dramatic transition for the church. It's been moving along, sort of going in one direction. We get to this chapter and everything changes. Acts chapters 2 through 7 with the church, for example, we see that the church was very local. It was, it was one church. It was in Jerusalem. This is where they lived. This is where they served. This church was dynamic, bold, present. They were uh, um, a contagious and infectious community. The people in the city of Jerusalem and the surrounding communities eventually, they would see this church like it was nothing like they'd ever seen before, and so they wanted to be a part of it. They lived out John, Jesus' words in John 13, uh, 34, where, uh, and 35, where Jesus says that all men will know that you're my disciples. How? If you love one another. This was that church, and they were radically transforming their city, Jerusalem, in a profound way. But then we get to Acts chapter 8, and everything begins to change. Everything begins to change. And not only did it change, it's going to change in one day. In one day, God is going to dramatically turn everything that this church has been about, everything that they're doing completely upside down and disrupt the lives of the people in the church. But what he's doing that we're going to see is that the Lord is opening a new door for how to do ministry. And it's a door that's still open today. It's a door that wasn't just for them then. It's a door that's open for us today. If you want the Lord to use your life, as we've been saying for weeks now over the summer, to use your life to make an eternal impact in the life of someone else, if that is on your heart, you say, that's what I want, this is for you. Because this is going to unpack a strategic way for how to do that that comes right from the text. It's what they did, and it's what we should do. And here it is. Here's your big idea for this morning. The big idea, your first fill in the blank is this. So, as you go. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. And my challenge for every single one of us, just to put it out there right now, is that you and I would view life in such a way that life provides a chance to help people find and follow Jesus. It isn't just about moments and places and programs on a calendar, but it's all of life gives you and I a chance to sow as we go, to share as we live, to point people to Jesus in a variety of ways. This is what they did, and this is what we are to do. So Acts chapter 1, verse 8, quick background, just to make sure we're all on the same page. We read verse 1 in just a moment. The Jerusalem church, as you remember, had grown dramatically. This church was likely 20,000 plus in size. This is a mega, mega church. It is massive in size. Now consider that Jerusalem at this time is only about 60,000 people population. 
That's about one of three people in this city of Jerusalem are coming to faith in Jesus, are a part of this church community. Well, no doubt, a largely Jewish city, of course, this is where the Sanhedrin is, this is where the temple is, that was very disruptive for those who were threatened by that. So conflicts begin to stir up. Acts 6, Acts 6 and 7, we see this conflict stir up against a gentleman named Stephen. He ends up having to go to court. They end up issuing the death penalty. And by the end of chapter 7, they murdered him. They stoned him outside of the city. This picks us up in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Let's read together. I'm going to pick up in the middle of the verse where it says this, that on that day, now what day? Well, this is the day that Stephen was murdered. This is that day. On that very day, a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea in Samaria. If you have your Bible, underline, circle that word scattered there. That's that big idea here that's going on. And I want you and I just to try to put this into context for us. I want you to imagine here at New Hope Church that one of us, because one of us, whoever it may be, loves Jesus so much that they were, they were killed for that. They were persecuted, tried, and ultimately killed. And then this, this oppression begins to hit, this, this persecution strikes such that you have moments to, to, to get home, to grab your loved ones, to grab a backpack of some belongings, and to get out of city, to get out of Adel, Waukee, wherever you live, to go, to flee. And all of a sudden, what was new hope and everything we sort of experienced as a church changed just like that. It was over. You know and heard that some people headed north toward Minnesota. Some went south toward Missouri. You have no idea where your small group went. Your friends, you don't know. You're trying, now I know we all have cell phones today, but go with me on the illustration, right? I mean, you're, you're trying to figure out where things are at. A church that you loved, a church where you saw God doing incredible things, a church that was growing day by day, it's gone. It's not there anymore. And as you go, you've got to figure out, I I need a new job. I need a new place to live. I need new friends. I need to find a a new church family, except wait, there aren't any. I just got scattered from the only church that there was. That is the church. And now the the church is gone. And you can imagine, if, if that was happening to us, but for those people then, there was probably this question gripping them of like, Lord, what are you doing? Like it seemed like you were working in so many profound ways. There were so many exciting things happening. And all of a sudden, it's just over and gone. And it's such a good reminder that sometimes we, well, not sometimes, often, we go through things. We go through these types of moments that are so hard. And we don't know what the Lord is doing and allowing and how he's working. And those experiences are very, very real. But it's such a good reminder that it's not the full picture. And it wasn't for those Christians that day either. To try to paint a picture for that, your next fill in the blank, to drive this home, is this idea that this day, this wasn't the destruction. This was the dispersion of the church. God was doing something profoundly important in this moment. He was scattering his people like seeds. He was getting them out of Jerusalem to go to Judea and to Samaria to reach people that the Lord deeply loved. Let me show you a map just so you have context for this. You have Jerusalem in the center, and they're going in every direction. Samaria to the north, Judea to the south. 
Here you have the enemy who is intending harm, but God is turning the tables. And he's like, no, no, this is actually for good. This is really good. You see that Satan is attempting to, to stamp out the church's fire, to stomp on it, to be done with it, but not really is that God says, you know what, this is actually working just for my good because what you're doing is you try to stamp out the fire of the church as you're spreading the embers all over the ancient world. As men and women, boys and girls, these families are traveling and moving into all these different places, and all of a sudden there is light and salt and people all over Judea and Samaria to reach people with the gospel. This is what God was doing. It was painful for the people, but the Lord was working in all of it. And just to encourage you, you may be going through something now, and if you're not today, you will tomorrow, because that's the human lot. But remembering that God has a bigger picture so often in mind how he wants to redeem and use those moments. We've got to trust him through it. Trust him in the midst of it. And then watch what he does that blows your mind, because you never thought or expected he could pull that off. You never knew that was on his heart as he begins to use your life and the challenges that you and I go through. Verse 2, as we continue on, we have a little short verse here that gives a quick scene that happened back in Jerusalem. As people are fleeing, it says that godly men, they buried Stephen and they mourned deeply for him. That word deeply in the Greek means loudly. That's a loud, wailing type of mourning that is going on here. And so you, it just a, a, almost a parenthetical statement that in the middle of the fleeing and the persecution, the dispersion of the church, this group of men stayed back and they gave Stephen a proper burial. Now, what I love about this verse is at this time in history, that if a person was convicted by the Sanhedrin, the Jewish Supreme Court, and was then stoned, so convicted, and was stoned for what they did, it was illegal to shed a tear and cry for that person. You were not allowed to. But these men who go and they take his body and they give him a proper and respectful burial, what do they do? They begin to mourn, but not just a little sniffle. Oh no, they are loudly wailing and mourning. They did not care. This was a beautiful expression of, of love for Stephen of love for the Lord, uh, of doing this, this expression uh, of kindness after his murder. We continue on in verse 3. But Saul began to destroy the church. That word destroy means to ravage like a wild animal. It's almost a word picture in your mind you can imagine. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and he put them in prison. And as we've already noted, this gentleman, Saul, is the same who will be eventually be known as Paul. Paul the missionary, Paul the church planter, Paul the, the gentleman who wrote 13 of the New Testament books. This is the same person. And in fact, I want to encourage you, though, we're wrapping up the sermon series with Acts chapter 8. Saul, or Paul's story, picks up in Acts chapter 9. Keep reading that through. Enjoy the rest of his story. It is remarkable how God worked in him and through him. But this verse right here is such an important reminder. And your next fill in the blank, I just want to drive this home before we get to our main point. And it's, that, it's this, that we are all different people before we, meet, we met Jesus. We are all different people before we met Jesus. And let me encourage you with this idea, though I may be stomping on some toes, and that is that maybe you go to church, maybe you've had encounters, maybe you've prayed a prayer, but if you are not a different person today after having met Jesus, then you didn't meet Jesus. Because you cannot have an encounter with Christ and be the same person. It's, it's impossible. 
Because he does that. He, he, you spend time with him. He changes you. He works in you. That's just how it works. And so if you're just doing the same thing, and well, I prayed a prayer over here, but nothing really ever changed, I don't know what you had. But Jesus radically changes everything. And we see this in Saul's life there's too. He was a completely different person. When you get to Acts chapter 9, you can read about that and how God showed up and radically transformed and changed his life. But we look at a verse like this, and Paul, I mean, he didn't live life looking in the rearview mirror, but he regretted this. He has regret-soaked words peppered throughout the New Testament. Let me give you just a few examples. 1 Timothy 1, he, he tells Timothy, he says, look, I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor. I was a violent man. 1 Corinthians 15, for I am the least of all the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle. Why? Because, because I'm the one that persecuted the church of God. In Galatians 1, for you have, all, you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism and how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. But see, this is the beauty of the gospel. The gospel changes everything and everyone. It's who Jesus is. It's what he does. It's the gospel message that his love and forgiveness are eagerly offered to every single one of you. And it doesn't matter how packed your past is. If any of you say, yeah, but if God only knew, he knows. And it's for you. Or, or it's, it, it may be for you, or if you're here or watching online, it may be the idea of like, well, well, I don't feel like I'm qualified. I don't feel deserving of forgiveness from God. But the cross screams something very different. Because the cross is for everyone. All are invited to the foot of the cross. All are invited to come and to bring our brokenness and our shame and our past and our regrets, just like Saul and to have an encounter with a living Savior who extends gracious forgiveness and a second chance relationship with him. This is no merit of our own. We did nothing, zero, to deserve it or to put into effect. But this is the gospel, and this is what we see here. And this is the message that the early church was imprinted upon, and when they were with people, this is what they shared. It was, it was a message of, let me tell you about the one who changes everything. Let me tell you about Jesus. And anywhere they were, and everywhere they went, this is what they did. Which brings us to our last verse this morning, and the key one I want us to lock on as we finish up, and that's verse 4 where it simply says that those who had been scattered, which was just about everyone, they preached the word wherever they went. And that word preached, if you have this idea of like, well, that's just for a few people. There's a few preachers out there. That's what they do. No, no. The word preach literally means to talk about. That means that wherever they were scattered, they talked about they shared evangelism. They, they talked about Jesus. They talked about the word. They talked about what they were learning. They talked about what God was doing. And so you have this scene where thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people, north, south, east, and west, they are running for their lives. And everywhere they went, as the text tells us, they took their moments and opportunities to tell people about Jesus. 
This is what they did everywhere they went. What were they doing? That's sowing as you're going. That's what it looks like. And for this group of people, what I love about them, despite them being persecuted, harmed, hurt, their lives destroyed in many respects, they did not scatter in fear. They did not scatter in fear. They scattered with purpose. And they did not leave Jerusalem in despair, but they left Jerusalem determined for God to use this for good in their lives. See, they did not leave Jerusalem as refugees. They left as missionaries. You see the mindset shift there? They could have, like, bellyache. They could have whined. I probably would have, right? There would have been all, they could have had all these different emotions, but they chose to say, you know what? This is our opportunity. And so as we go, we're going to sow. This is how we're going to live. This is who we're going to be. This is putting the Great Commission into outreach. You see, here at New Hope Church, we, um, we do outreaches as a church. We put things on the calendar and we, we stand up here and invite or in the bulletin or weekly update, we invite people to be a part of an outreach like Love and Serve Day or the Block Party Trailer. We, we, we want to do that and that's a good thing. But I want to suggest to you that that's actually not the main thing. That's not when we see scripture what really is going on, but rather in your next fill in the blank is this idea that telling people about Jesus, what we see in scripture, is less about a program of the church. It's more about a lifestyle of the people. That's what we see. It's men and women who say, I'm just, I'm just going to live it. I'm just going to sow as I go, and I'm going to view my life as an opportunity to help people find and follow Jesus. In fact, to drive this home, I want you to observe something here. It was back in verse 1. But did you notice that the apostles, so the pastors of the church, the leaders of the church, your Peters and Johns and James, all of them, they went underground when the persecution hit. They actually did not scatter with the church. They were in hiding and underground. And so as the people went out, as they went out to, 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 to scatter among the people and to point people to Jesus, to sow as they go, their leaders were not with them. But it didn't matter. Because it wasn't like they would go to a town in Samaria and, and start to talk about the Lord, and they say, well, who's Jesus? And they say, um, does anybody know where Peter is? Like, can Peter help explain? I need a pastor over here. Can anybody come over? That's not how it happened. They just did it. They just talked about it. They didn't need the apostles because they were doing the ministry. Because it was all of them, they were equipped and they were willing. And you want to know why? See, they told people about Jesus as they went to Judea and Samaria because they were already doing it in Jerusalem. It was normal. It was normal. See, it's kind of odd, for example, to go on a mission trip to tell people about Jesus if you don't do it here. It's kind of strange to go somewhere else to serve if we don't serve here. They were already doing it. They were already living it. They were already telling people about the one who changed their life. And see, the key is this kind of idea of helping people find and follow Jesus, our mission statement here at New Hope, it isn't about something to put on the calendar. It isn't like Tuesday at 7 o'clock, I've got helping people find and follow Jesus time. That's what I'm going to do it then. It's rather, 
what you do when you're already doing what you do. That's when you do it. It's what you do when you're already doing what you do. So what do you do? Where do you go? I go to work. I go here. I go there. I run kids. I'm I'm all over the place. This This is what I do. Well, then, sowing as you go is what you do when you're already doing those things. That's the Great Commission. That's what it looks like. And let me show you this. So here's the Great Commission just in Matthew. Matthew 28, just the first part of it is all I did. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Your Bible has probably some version like this. But in the Greek, this is how it actually literally reads. It reads this way. As you are already going, you all, or y'all from the South, you all make disciples of all people groups. It literally begins as you are already going. This is what you do. It's what you do when you're doing what you're already doing. You get the chance to point people to Jesus. And, and just a little just side note, if you're looking at this, because this is the marching orders for the church. This is where we get our mission statement of helping people find and follow Jesus. It comes from this verse But if you look at that and you say, we're to make disciples, if I'm honest, I don't know what a disciple is, much less how to make one. Like, what does that even mean? And if that's you this morning, and and if that is, that's that's totally fine, then I I want to just encourage you with something. And that is, back in May, we launched a new ministry, and it's kind of quiet, but it's happening every week all over the place. It's called Each One Equip One. It's where men meet with men and women with women in one-on-one or sometimes one-on-two disciple-making relationships where, where it's a, a chance for somebody to come alongside you and to mentor you, not only to learn what it means to live as a disciple or a follower of Jesus, but also to be equipped to make disciples so that you can then go and you can disciple someone else. We're seeing a movement begin. We're already beginning to launch into the second generation, and that is that people have been discipled or starting to disciple other people. And if that's something where you just, you think, I would love to have somebody mentor me. I would love to have that investment. Then you can use your connection card and just put E1, each one, equip, whatever. Just disciple, whatever it is, and we'll get in touch with you because we would love to begin to help you with that in terms of living out the Great Commission. So you can use your connection card for that or use the chat bar if you're watching online this morning. So as we close, uh, I want to give one action step. One action step. And really it's an action step about thinking of, of how do I live this out? What does this look like? How do I live out so as you go? And it's your last fill in the blank. And, and here's the idea that I want you to think about. It's called soak and squeeze. Now, this is, this is an illustration. It's not my own. It's been around for a number of years, and some of you probably heard it before, but it's a good reminder. Soak and squeeze. And the idea is that both are important. Soaking and squeezing are both important. So if you had a sponge or whatnot up here and whatnot, and, and, and as an illustration, that, that you are, you and I are to soak in, in the sense of like we're to input or absorb God's word, time with him, growth in him. And so, so how do we do this? Well, we, we soak when we come to church on a Sunday morning and we hear the word. We soak when we go to small group and we're with each other and we're sharing life and sharing scriptures. We soak in our personal quiet times. We enjoy him. We give God our full attention and we soak in all that he has for us. But the other side of that is that then we need to squeeze out. 
We need to share what we're learning. We need to share what he's teaching us. We need to, 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 to talk to people. There needs to be an outlet or expression of everything that we're doing. So we soak and we squeeze. But if we're very honest, in the local church in America, there are far more soakers than squeezers. And it's easy to know why. Soaking is awesome. Squeezing is uncomfortable. You feel that. Now, here's the problem. If all we ever do is soak, if all we ever do, you know, come to church, go to small groups, soak, 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 at some point, we become spiritually bloated, spiritually constipated. How about for analogy? Not very comfortable. At some point, you can't soak in anymore. Like, you're just at capacity because there's nothing left for you in terms of input to bring it in. I have found that people who are soakers, they have anemic worship and they're bored. They're bored with Christianity. Because they're, all they're doing is just soaking. So what we need to do is we need to squeeze out too because that's where the action happens. That's where God begins to work and to, and to, and to, and to lead us. So, so if all we ever do is soak, we become spiritually bloated. But just as dangerous, if all we ever do is squeeze, squeeze, squeeze. And so you're that person that, that rather than spending time with him, you're doing things for God and you're just squeezing constantly. At some point what happens is you have nothing left in you to squeeze out. You're tired. You're burned out. You're frustrated if somebody asks me to do one more thing, I'm going to lose my mind because all I'm doing in life is squeezing and squeezing and there's nothing left. Both are dangerous. We need to soak and we need to squeeze. And so let me ask you as we close this morning, how are you doing in this area? How are you doing soaking in God's word? You cannot sow as you go if you don't soak. If you don't spend time with him, you have nothing to offer as you go. But also, how are you doing squeezing? What does that look like in your life? Who are you talking with? Who are you engaging with? Who are you spending time with? Who are you sharing with? Who are you praying for and praying with? What does it look like in your life to squeeze out? I'd like to invite the worship team to come up as we begin to close. If you don't soak, you have nothing for people. If you don't squeeze, you give nothing to people. Another observation as we close, and they're getting settled. I've just observed in 20 plus years of pastoral ministry that the people who worship most deeply on Sunday are the ones who live most dependently all the week long. The people who rely on him, that are loving him, that are squeezing, that are prioritizing, soaking and squeezing and whatever it is that looks like. And the beautiful thing is how it looks in your life is how it looks, it looks different in my life. But that's what I see. And so my challenge for every single one of us, starting today, do some soaking, but then do some squeezing too. And if you don't know where, how to squeeze, where to squeeze, what does that look like? How can I squeeze in the life of the church? We want to help you with that. Use your connection card. We'd love to just talk with you, meet with you. We want to help you with that. Let's be a church that's committed to sow as we go. Would you pray with me?
then we're going to respond in worship this morning. Father, we thank you so much for the, the chance to look at this example of the early church, of everyday people who had something very painful happen, and yet saw the opportunity of how you could use it to help people find and follow Jesus. And I pray that you would put that increasingly on our hearts. This is our mission, but it's not just something to hang on a wall. It's something to live out in everyday life all over Dallas County. And so I pray for my friends, myself, that you would help us to be faithful to soak and vigilant to squeeze. That you'd give us the courage to look at our lives and to see places where maybe we're not doing those two things and we need to make some changes. I just can't wait to see, Father, how you're going to work in our lives as you use us, as we too scatter from this place throughout the week, and to see you do an eternal impact on the lives of so many people. We pray this in Jesus' name.